Welcome to this podcast recording from the DFARM 2022 conference on Fireside Leadership Lessons, Driving Innovation to Support Patients and Sites. The DFARM conference is produced by the Conference Forum. For more information, please visit theconferenceforum.org. Enjoy the podcast recording from DFARM 2022. Welcome, Judy, and thank you for... Uh taking the time out to share with us uh, your experience as heading up the clinical trial for uh, Pfizer. Uh, I'm gonna tell you first, which I mentioned to you before, I'm very excited to do this, uh, to moderate you because I actually have participated in two clinical trials. So to hear your perspective and for me to reflect on what it meant to me is really important. So there's a couple questions I'm gonna ask and I'm gonna start with asking you, you were one of, the top 30 leaders who played a critical role in the success of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine uh, clinical trial program. Can you tell us about that role and what it meant to you to be part of the team um, that made such, uh, I'm sorry, uh, tell us your role and what it meant to you to be part of a team during this critical time? Sure. Thanks, Mary. Um, first off, before I answer the question, I want to thank you for being a clinical trial participant. Um, I think all of us, you know, it's hard to believe, but every modern medicine or um, vaccine that we have today was tested in clinical trials, but that doesn't happen without um, volunteers. And so um, thank you for being a part of that. Thank you. Um, so COVID vaccine study um, and that program, um, and what it meant to me. Uh, I think, you know, I've been at Pfizer for over 10 years. And I think when you work um, at a company like Pfizer, um, you know that you're always helping patients or that's a motivation for you. Um, but I think when the pandemic happened and our CEO, um, you know, raised the challenge for all of us to um, be part of this vaccine project, I think it really just came into pretty sharp focus um, for me and I think all of the, the colleagues. Uh, you mentioned the 30 leaders. I think there were hundreds of people who were working um, day in and day out during that period. Um, my role um, within uh, the project was really focused on um, two things. One is building really great relationships with the investigator sites that we had um, working with us on the trial. So there was over 150 um, investigators um, who were are partnering with us um, and making sure that they had the support and the resources that they needed. And then the other aspect, um, as I touched on before, is also making sure that people were aware of the clinical trial. Those who volunteered and participated had the right information and communications, and also making sure we put in place resources um, uh, to make it easier for those who participated. So that was a little bit about my role. But I would say, um, you know, here we are a, a few couple years later, um, it is still such an emotional, I think, personal um, experience to, to be a part of that. And I think every day we woke up and felt like the world is counting on us. Um, and no matter what our role was, like, you know, my role was not necessarily focused on the science, but communicating the science or communicating um, different aspects. Each and every one of us had to do our very best um, and at that time, we didn't know that if we would have um, a success or not. But every day we said, you know what, we all have to try our best and, and ensure that we gave it our best shot um, as we went forward. So, 
Well, thank you and all your colleagues for giving it your best shot because not only did we need you then, we also need you now. So thank you all. Um, we've heard some examples of innovating and modernizing, forgive me, clinical trials. Can you share what innovation means to you? Sure. I mean, I think um, this whole conference is all about, you know, innovations and highlighting some of those aspects. And I think oftentimes we go to this space where we're applying something novel, right? It's this brand new technology or if we could do clinical trials on the moon or whatever it may be. Like, you know, that's dramatic. Like, I don't think we would do that. <laughs> but, you know, something that is novel, that that is um, very different. Um but I think for me and the job that I have and the work that um, my team does, the definition is actually what are things that we can do every day that can make the experience better, more convenient, or more comfortable um, for those who either volunteer or that we partner with. So innovation, I think, is really saying, you know what, here's a simple task or here's a simple um, thing that we have to accomplish, right? Like collecting information or data, right? We used to do it in notepads, but now we can do it on an iPad. Great, that makes it easier or better, right? And that's one use of like an example of technology. I think that's a very pervasive theme, I think that we've been talking about within the clinical trial landscape um, as well around it. But I think, um, you know, the other note I think is when we talk about technology, um, it's less about like that widget or thing, but, um, providing flexibility and meeting um, patients where they are, people where they are as we go forth. So for example, like the internet is not a new technology, right? It's in our lives, it's, it's around us every day. But I think one of the things that we did um, at Pfizer is to bring together all the information that a potential participant might need into a single website, PfizerClinicalTrials.com. Um, so they don't have to search, but it's all in one place. Um, and, and that's one way to make it easier. And then we also found out that, you know, sometimes language is a barrier to participation. So we translated that into to Spanish for, you know, those Spanish-speaking individuals here in the United States. So even though those aren't earth-shattering, I think those are simple things and, and really just walking in the shoes of um, the audience that you're trying to serve um, will be the thing that spurns innova spurs innovation forward. Well, that definitely uh, improves the patient experience, not only for the patient, but for their families as well. Um, next question, as a member of the leadership team in getting the COVID vaccination to the public in record time, can you talk about some of the challenges you face and how you led your team through them? Sure. Um, yeah, I think going back to that time, each of us, I think, knew um, how important um, our role was and the job that we were doing and how seriously we needed to take that. And, you know, in reflection, it was only 200 and I think 66 days from finding out about the pandemic to, to bring forward um, a vaccine to the public, which is, you know, um, certainly much less than any other vaccine that we've had, but, you know, an outstanding effort. But we also knew throughout that process, we had to operate with quality do um, things that ensure that everything that we're doing was along the standard process, but um, innovate um, along the way. Um, and not only did we have to bring forward um, a potential vaccine, but also ensure that people may be willing to take it. And I think, you know, we've all talked about um, 
I think, over this journey, the importance of diversity um, and representation in clinical trials. And I think that was um, one challenge that, um, you know, we faced as a team on, you know, how do we ensure that we're building trust um, within communities? How do we ensure that even though we were going quickly, that we were transparent and clearly communicating? Um, and that's something we hadn't faced before, right? That's, that's, I think the whole world was an unusual situation, but we were also in an unusual situation um, as well. And I think the fact remains is that um, we know that the more um, diverse um, uh, representation that you have in a trial, the more that we learn about that potential medicine or vaccine and disease. And in the case of COVID, obviously we know that certain communities were absolutely disproportionately impacted. Um, and so I think, you know, what, what we did differently, or our team and how we guided through was really listen to the voices within those communities and have dialogue, right? And importantly, I think our, um, our community and medical um, partners through our Multicultural Health Equity Collective were important partners in that. And so we just brought them all together and asked them, you know, what's important and had open dialogue um, as we went forward to really shape together and co-create, you know, how we might build awareness um, and bring outreach um, within communities where we were um, conducting trials. I think the other piece also was ensuring that um, our partners, um, our clinical trial sites, right, and we're in locations where um, COVID may be more prevalent or where um, those communities that were disproportionately impacted were. Right, and really working with them um, on a day-to-day basis to help um, them understand um, the importance of diversity um, in this particular trial. So I think to answer your question, you know, you know, this is a challenge we face, but what did we do? I think we worked together um, to kind of solve the problem and listen to um, the, our constituents and partners um, along the way, which I think is so critically important when it comes to this topic. And I'm sure you guys will continue that process as well. Yeah, no. It's not a one-time. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's not a one-time thing fits all. I think, you know, the topic became heightened and in the media and something that um, was in the spotlight. But I think one of the lessons that we've taken forward with us is, you know, some of the things that we started to do with this COVID vaccine trial are things now that we're making a matter of day-to-day -day business, right, um, for all of our trials because, you know, we have a whole portfolio of medicines and vaccines that we're um, developing and, you know, we're really committed to to ensuring um, equity in our, in our development process um, uh, as well. Thank you. All right, I'm going to have ask you one more question and then we'll open it up and see, I'm sure many people here have questions for you as well. Um, if you had to narrow down your top three leadership lessons, takeaways, what would they be and why are they such a priority for you? Sure. Um, so I think uh, the COVID vaccine development um, for us, while it seemed to be very quick, right? Um, I think we, the important thing was to kind of approach it like a marathon, not a sprint, right? Like it wasn't like we were racing to this end um, deliverable, but really, um, you know, having an end goal in mind of following the science um, as we went forward. So um, 
I think there are kind of three lessons that I carry with me. And I think this experience has kind of changed the way that I work as well. Um, one is um, really thinking about having a really good plan. I know it sounds kind of, you know, when we're trying to be innovative, we're trying to think about, you know, what's the next step and how do we do things differently to meet um, a pretty aud um, audacious goal. Um, actually, I think thoughtful planning and really thinking about, you know, what could go wrong? What can you anticipate? What are the milestones you need to reach? What's critical? What's not critical? And what's, you know, along the way and, and really shaping that plan um, and, and taking the time up front to plan um, is uh, a, a good lesson. I think prior to this, you know, in my work, I'd be like, all right, we have this project. Let's just start going. Let's go. Let's do this. Right. But I think ultimately the plan really helps. The second is to also to be able to be flexible and listen to the key signals around you. So whether in our case for this, it was listen to what the science is telling you, listen to what your stakeholders are telling you, listen to what your partners are telling you um, al along that journey, and then be willing to flexibly adapt your plan um, as, as we go, right? You know, so um, I think that's a, a second lesson. Um, and then the third lesson is, I think, to take care of yourself and to take care of others. I think, I, I don't know, I think the whole world went into this kind of lockdown space where we were contemplative about our lives, how we work, what's important, what's meaningful to us. Um, and I think, you know, through um, the this process and working so closely with my team, I think, um, one of the things I realized is it's important to also take breaks and to be healthy and to take the time to, um, you know, make space for the, the people and the things that are important to you, but also to um, take care of your team and balance um, the work and, and share the load um, a, as we go. And I think these are three things that we um, do um, every day now since, but became very important um, during that time. Thank you for sharing those best practices. There is something I believe that we all can glean something from and help us as we go forward. I'm going to open it up to our audience here. Um, if you have a question. We have time for questions. Um, just raise your hand and we'll bring the microphone to you. Um, I think there's one behind you, Bree. Okay, first question here. Hey there, you talked about the experiences of the um, vaccine trial. So what innovations have you taken forward to new studies and lessons learned? I guess the top two things you've, you've learned from that for studies moving forward. Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, there, I think there's so many lessons, right? I'm like looking at my friend Tim over here. We were thinking about even, you know, decentralized trials and, and things of that nature. Um, but I would say, um, I think that the point that I made about um, diversity and equity in trials and making it something that the entire organization shares and commits to. And so it's not just, you know, kind of one function's job to really steward that on behalf of the rest of the organization, but having every study manager, clinician, your CRO partners, your um, site partners kind of share in that commitment and continuously work together, I think. Um, and then also work within the community is like a really big lessons learned for us that, you know, 
we have scaled across Pfizer and that we continue to work on um, as we go. I think in line with that, you know, we also published um, a retrospective of, um, you know, our demographic data for 10 years to say we're going to be transparent about, you know, how um, we've performed in the past and set a baseline um, for us to aspire to in the future. So I think that's that's a pretty big one. And then the second one is, I think, um, the notion of allowing for flexibility um, within um, flexibility within a trial um, to meet participant needs. So whether it be, uh, and this is a lot of what we're exploring today, you know, whether it be bringing the child to your home or allowing for technologies or, um, you know, allowing for flexible visits within, um, you know, I think that is also something um, that we're scaling now and have, have goals around. But there's a whole host of things. I think um, we... We call it light speed. So working at light speed, that's our kind of internal moniker. And so it's something that I think we are kind of bringing forward across um, our portfolio as well. Kind of this um, rapid decision making and um, faster way of working while also maintaining, obviously, the, the quality and um, putting patients first. Thanks. Other questions? Hold on one second. Maybe piggyback in on the, the response you just had there. Uh, one, one challenge I've seen is think about patients and sites earlier during the design process, which is highly indexed on the science. So what are your thoughts on bringing this appreciation for the patient and site experience to the clinicians and earlier in the design process? Yeah, I would 100% I would agree with that notion, right? Um, meaning getting feedback from participants and also, or potential participants, right? They're not participants yet, but for um, patients um, and or doctors who treat within that condition, I think is critically important because then you can identify simple things that you can change within a protocol before it actually becomes a, a, a final protocol um, that will make the day-to-day -day, um, experience for those participants easier. So we might say, oh my gosh, having an extra visit or having an extra test, that would be awesome to collect additional data for this, you know, maybe secondary endpoint or what have you. But is it really necessary? Because I think that's an hour out of someone's day. It's another um, babysitter you might have to get or whatever else in order to make that happen. Um, and so really thinking about it from uh, the, the participant's perspective, I think, is critical. And that that input is really key. I think we have lots of really excellent partnerships with our patient advocacy partners, as well as um, even simulating protocols um, up front before um, they're, they're finalized to really get that input so that, um, you know, the things that we can um, change, right, that aren't super critical to the science um, can, can be changed in order to make a difference. Next question. Hi there, Erica from Proof Pilot. I was wondering if you could dig a little into your patient communication strategy and how that relates to the diversity and inclusion efforts you were talking about earlier. 
Um, when you say patient communication strategy, what do you mean by that? Sorry, I just I'm like how you're um, working with the patients. I know there's a lot of decentralized clinical trials. Um, are you educating them through those? Are you leaving it right up to the uh, PI? Um, oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. I, I didn't mean to be flipping big. What do you mean by that? But the, I just want to answer your question appropriately. Um, sure. So um, I think that there are many levels to what a, a patient communication strategy that you need to employ. I think one thing I will highlight is everything that we develop um, whether it be brochures, websites, things of that nature. Um, the templates and, and things that we brought forward have been reviewed um, by uh, clear health communication experts. So I think one guiding principle is um, let's break things down into um, clear, easy to digest information because we all know that oftentimes, sometimes medical information is not easy, right? So that's a guiding principle. Um, another guiding principle I think is really important is acknowledging and also really ensuring that um, we are recognizing what an important gift it is for people to participate in clinical trials. You know, I, I thanked you, Barry, at the beginning. I might ask you a question also. I know people are asking right. me questions. But, um, but it's a big deal. And so I think to be able to ensure that, you know, Acknowledging that, um, you know, with, at the end of our COVID trial, we gave, um, or not the end, and it's still carrying on, but, you know, as, as it progressed and after, um, you know, we received um, approvals, we provided everybody with a commemorative keepsake pin to thank them for this moment, you know what I mean? And so that's just one example. So I think acknowledging and gratitude, I think also um, being in the community and working within the community, whether that's the investigator or, you know, ourselves as Pfizer, um, you know, partnership with advocacy groups is really important about raising awareness and education. So those are three things that I think um, that are kind of newer things that underpin um, our work. But um, at the end of the day, I think it's meeting people where they are with the information that they need. Um, and also I think more broadly, um, demystifying how you can get involved in clinical trials. I think after the pandemic, if you ask anyone, have you heard of a clinical trial? Everyone would be like, yes, I've heard about a clinical trial. I said, if I asked you, um, all right, so if you were interested and wanted to sign up tomorrow, would you know who to talk to or where to go? And I would say, you know, many of those hands would go down. And so I think that meeting people where they are, making it accessible is, is critical, whether it be, you know, at the, the corporate or sponsor level or at the investigative site level as well. Hi there, um, Mario with Proofpilot. Um, do you have any thoughts about, uh, as, as um, protocols are becoming more complex, do you have any thoughts about um, compensation for patients and um, any different strategies that you've used to kind of keep keep patients on a study once they're on because we're asking a lot of them as they as they're coming in for their visits sure I mean I think we all know kind of because we all work in the industry kind of what the guidelines and guideposts um, around I think compensation are right because I think we want to make sure that um, participation is voluntary but then in addition you know when we do compensate it's in line with you know whatever the burden is as as we go forward um, within that um, 
space. Um, so I think what I would say is I'll broaden, I'll, I'll answer your question with kind of a broader perspective, which is I think um, wherever we can appropriately recognize participants and make it easier for them for the contribution that they're making, um, we should. So whether it's as simple as, you know, ensuring that um, when you uh, have to park, right, by the hospital and parking $30, you're reimbursed for that or, um, you know, whatever it may be. So I think we're constantly looking um, at ways to make it easier, but doing so in a way that is also um, uh, appropriate too. Um, and in line with good, good clinical practice, which underpins everything we do. Okay, we have time for uh, maybe two more questions. Hi. <laughs> Um, whatever bad sports analogy of of what you achieved winning the Super Bowl, World Series, I mean, what you Premier as, League soccer, we could go there. All right, but yeah, so whatever it is, what you have achieved as a team is truly remarkable and amazing, right? And and you know, arguably the most important thing that's happened in a very very long time. My question is actually a, back to a management question: is how do you come off of that? and keep your teams motivated and curious and maybe humble even is a word I would use to, to not read your own press clippings, to, to continue to be able to do this. Clearly you can't work at that pace forever, but how do you motivate your team without the letdown or whatever the right, again, bad sports analogy would be? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's a, you're like, you won the Super Bowl, and then, and then now what? Is that kind of the question? Like, yeah. Um, sure. Uh, so I would, I would, I would venture to say two things, um, based on your comments. I think, you know, the, the colleagues at Pfizer, um, when we answered the call around this, you know, I think everyone just said, we have to, we have to do this. It wasn't about like the press clippings or like one day we'll be in the news and it'll be great. But it, it was really, you know what, we have, we have the skill set and you know the infrastructure and whatever it may be to be able to help people. So we must, right? That's kind of how we went into it. Then during it, I think you know we were learning and we were grateful for the outcomes, right? Um, and then I think afterwards, um, you know, we've continued to work, right? It wasn't just you know we had our our first trial. We have many. COVID vaccine trials and, you know, that team continues to work. But I think from a management perspective, I think there are three things that, you know, we're really doing. One is ensuring that people have time off and space and respect for, you know, that, that I think my three management lessons was take care of yourself, take care of others, right? That's so important. And I think, um, you know, ensuring that um, that that work continues um, and that that work in space of stressing wellness, stressing the importance of time off and 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 really um, creating space for um, whatever it is, whether it's like taking a walk, if that's what you like to do, laying at the beach or going out or whatever it is. Right. Creating space for that. I think that's number one. I think number two, while you would say, you know, it was the Super Bowl and then what? I think every day. Um, these colleagues are motivated and our teams are motivated to help people, right? Breakthroughs that change patients' lives is what we do. Um, and so I think even after that, I think, well, what's the next thing? Like, I think our colleagues are very much motivated by, like, what's the next thing that we can do 
um, or what's the next breakthrough that we can bring forward um, as we go forward. So I think, you know, really anchoring um, on that aspect. And then um, last but not least, I think, um, I don't know if it's a management lesson, but I think you have a very strong and bonded team right now. Like we have, we work together in ways that we, you know, I'm like making dinner, helping my daughter with her Zoom thing, but on a conference call about, okay, what's the next communication we need to get out around, you know, the EUA or whatever else. Like this is all happening and this team is very much used to working in that way. So I think what we've come out of this is a, a really good sense of teamwork and from management perspective is to continue to foster that deep teamwork in the, in the way that we, we can. So um, thanks for the question. Okay. Thank you everyone for all your thoughtful questions. I want to um, thank uh, Judy and Barry once again. If you want to um, have a wrap up and then we're going to. Move you know, Judy on has a question she wants to ask. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so Barry, um, thank you so much for moderating this session um, with me. It was so nice to spend time with you today. Pleasure. I know you've been asking me a lot of questions, um, but a question for you would be um, as a clinical trial participant, what advice do you have for all of these people here who probably helped shape that experience for you in one way or another or, or something that you think we should know that's important to you? Good question. I have several answers. I don't have enough time to, to give you all of them. Um, I would think one of the biggest ones for me would be access. How do we um, make clinical trials available to more people? What are some of the pathways for people in communities where they don't, you know, they're not near a medical center or, you know, who are in rural areas, how we make that available? You know, um, there are a number of excellent historically black uh, uh, colleges and universities that, you know, Basically, they would love for Big Pharma to come and to engage them, to engage their medical students on their programs and, you know, where they're going, where you guys are going with your technology and your science. And so it's an opportunity to help bring that education, that knowledge and that experience to those individuals so they could, you know, those communities that they serve, it would provide them greater access. So that's one of the areas, uh, Judy, I think would be helpful. Right. Well, thank you for the advice. We're going to take it to heart, and I hope all of you um, do too. Um, so I think this concludes our, our session. Thank you. Thank all you. All right. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this podcast recording from the DFARM 2022 conference. For more information, please visit theconferenceforum.org. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.